For the past couple weeks, we've been in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And tonight we'll continue as we examine faith. Probably the uh, quintessential passage on faith, chapter on faith in the entire Word of God would be Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it begins with faith and it ends with faith. And it is sort of a, uh, a dissertation, if we could call it that, uh, on the idea of faith, what faith is, what faith does, and uh, what we can do through faith. And the first week we looked at the simplicity of faith. and We looked at Abel, we looked at Enoch, and we looked at Noah. Last week we looked at the sojourning of faith. And uh, you, you better mark her down, the Lord saves us, but until he, he, we go to Him or He goes to us, we're going to have to live by faith. And faith is a sojourning thing. And it enables us, just like Abraham did, to sojourn in a land that's not ours. But this evening I'd like for us to take a few moments and look at faith in the life of Moses. And I want us to look at the standing up of faith. You know, you really believe something, you'll stand for it. You really believe in some things, it'll cause you to take a stand about some things. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for somebody that won't take a stand over some things. Part of the problem in Christianity today is uh, uh, we won't stand for anything, so we fall for everything. And there are some things we ought to stand over, not to fuss over, not to quarrel over, but we ought to stand over. You know, a lot of times when you know you're in the right, you don't have to fuss over it. You just take a stand. And uh, folks will either stand with you or they won't. We know through the Word of God some things that we ought to take a stand for. I don't know that there's a life in Scripture that is marked with uh, by such a drastic sacrifice as that of the life of Moses. Abraham certainly left a lot when he left his family and when he, when he left his home. But I don't know that Abraham really left as much as Moses did. Uh, and even in leaving, I don't know that Abraham suffered all that Moses suffered. And so Moses was a man that had to have some strength about him, some resolve and some substance. And faith will do that for you. In fact, that's what we see uh, down in, uh, let's see, where are we at here? Down in uh, verse number 26, it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That word endured, and I guess we better read and pray and preach, but that word endured has the idea of steadfastness, strengthened. Uh, he was strengthened as seeing him who is invisible. And we need strength in these days we live in. It's not easy to live for the Lord in the days that we live in. Uh, you can do more and uh, do less than maybe people did years before. Uh, the darker that it is, the, the brighter that even the flickering candle will shine. Uh, but it takes a lot more to keep that candle from being extinguished than it did many years ago. And so it takes some effort and it takes some strength. Let's begin reading at verse number 23 tonight. We'll read down to verse 28. We'll pray and preach. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house on a Sunday night. Lord, thank you for the want to to be here. And thank you for that which you put within each and every person here, the want to and desire to be in your house. Lord, I pray that they've done it out of love, not just out of duty, but Lord, even if they've done it out of duty tonight, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and encourage them. Bless them tonight, Lord, and help us and give us the strength to live for you. Give us the vision, Lord, to see the need to live for you. Lord, I pray for our young people that you do in them that which the pastor and the youth pastor and even the parents and grandparents are unable to do. Lord, if you don't spark a fire in their hearts and in our hearts, Lord, it won't be sparked. So I pray for them. Lord, I love each and every one of them, and they're special to us. And I know you love them more than even we do. I believe you have big plans for their life. So I pray that you just put your hand upon them and guard them and encourage them, Lord, to take a stand for you. Help each and every one of us to be the influence for them and for others that we need to be. And Lord, I pray that ere we leave this place tonight, you would have done business with us and we would have done business with you. Father, I love you tonight. I don't love you how I ought to, but I do want you to teach me to love you more. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we stopped at verse number 28. If you've got a Schofield Bible, then you're like 99% of other independent Baptists. Amen. And uh, you'll see that Mr. Schofield considers part 29, verse 29, to be part of that narrative. And we may say a word about verse 29, and we will definitely say a word about it next week if the Lord will let us. But what we're really looking at, rather than faith in the life of the children of Israel, is faith in particular in the life of Moses. Now, this faith was not always Moses' faith, but it was always faith in the life of Moses. Remember, as you study Hebrews chapter number 11, that the theme is, is faith. The theme is not Abraham or, or Sarah or Isaac or Jacob or, or Joseph or, or Moses or, or Joshua or Rahab or any of the others that are mentioned. The theme is faith. And so it sort of takes the place of the central character. And if we keep that in our minds, I believe we go a long ways to understanding some things about the life of Moses and faith in his life. You know, I believe we ought to invest in the lives of young people. And I believe one of the ways that we can invest in their life, and maybe the main way we can invest in their life, is by living a life of faith in front of them. I'll tell you this is experience. I was a young person at one time. Some of you were, too. Young people want to see something lived in front of them. That's the truth. If you won't live it in front of them, they're not interested. Sometimes even if you do live it in front of them, they're not interested. But if you won't live it in front of them, they're especially not interested. And we see some things that were stood up for in the life of Moses and some things that Moses took a stand for. And I think as Christians, it's high time that we stand up for some of these things. And I want us to just take a few moments tonight. I've got four things that I want to give to you this evening that I see faith causing someone to stand up for in our text this evening. Look with me at verse number 23. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, 
and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, in verse 23, we don't have as our central theme Moses' faith. Moses was uh, just a little baby. But we have faith on the part of Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed. We don't know a lot, and this ought to be a, a real convicting and encouraging thought at the same time to some of these ladies in the room. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Moses' daddy. In fact, the Bible, we know that he supported the hiding of Moses because it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was hid three months of his parents, not just of his mother. But if you were to go back in the book of Exodus, what you'd find is that Jochebed, the mother of Moses, was the primary one that was instigating and devising the plan to build the ark of bulrushes and to hide him. She saw something special in her little boy. And so we see that her life and her faith invested something in Moses that changed the rest of his life. Think about what they are doing. They are literally risking their lives so that they can protect this little boy. There's some interesting language in verse number 23, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But I want you to notice first off their vision. Why did they do what they did? Look at it again. The Bible says, because. Anytime you see that word because, you're going to listen to a cause. That's what you're about to get. And it says because, why? They saw he was a proper child. That word proper that's used there is very interesting. It doesn't mean they saw that he was a healthy child. Uh, some commentators have said it means they saw he was a big child. Amen. They saw he was a big boy, so they better hide him. Uh, they can't stick him in the bread box. He'd stick out. Amen. But actually what I believe that to mean is that when they saw him, they believed that God had a plan for his life. There's no question that God had prophesied, given this prophecy to the children of Israel, that he would visit them in Egypt, visit them in their darkness, and would deliver them. Do you remember what was told to Abraham concerning that they would go into darkness because the sin of the Amorites was not filled up yet? In other words, the Amorites still had some sinning to do before God would judge and wipe them out. And so the promised land could not be inhabited by a nation of Israel at that time. So God in His sovereignty and providence devised that they would go down into Egypt and there go from a family of 75 into millions and become the nation of Israel. No doubt they understood that one day God would have to send them a deliverer. No doubt they understood that one day God would raise someone up to lead them out of Egypt. There would have to be some means. And by the way, did you know that the means is always a person? God uses human instrumentality. That's what He uses to accomplish His work in His will. He doesn't have to. When no one else will praise Him, the rocks and the trees will praise Him. When He can't get the prophet to mind, He can talk through the donkey. Amen? But He likes to use human instrumentality. And so I'm sure that it was a pretty common thing amongst the Jews to understand that there is a Messiah that is coming to deliver us from Egypt. I believe that they did what they did because in some way and for some reason they believed that that child could be that Messiah, that prophet that would be raised up to lead them out of Egypt. What I'm saying is this, when every other Hebrew looked and just saw another little boy, and I'm sure that every mother's heart beat for their child 
I'm sure that every mother's bowels yearned for that little one. I'm sure they had the same love then that a mother has now. But I'm saying Amram and Jochebed saw something more than just a baby that they loved. They saw something more than just another child. They saw he was a proper child. That word literally means a godly child. And they saw that God had a plan for his life. I believe, first off, we ought to stand up for our progeny, our children. And I think one of the main reasons we should is because God wants to do something in them and with them and for them and through them. I believe God has a plan for our young people. I, 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 didn't, I promise you I, I had no intention of praying about the young people the way I did when we opened. The, the Spirit of God led me to pray in that way. Uh, but I think He did for this reason. Uh, that that's sort of a theme, the first part of this message, that our young people are valuable. We ought to treasure them. We ought to protect them. We ought to watch over them. And I believe our young people are worth taking a stand for. It's interesting because th- there's a lot of examples that God could have given Uh, concerning parents standing up for their young people. And certainly they could have given examples of uh, maybe the woman, the harlot, uh, that went before Solomon and was willing to give her child up so that her child uh, could live. Uh, There could be other examples all through Scripture, I'm sure, that you could find of parents standing up for their children. But the thing that you find interesting here is that the faith that they exhibited was not a faith that was exhibited by uh, necessarily enforced example. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when I say standing up for your kids, I don't mean standing up for them necessarily by taking bad things out of their life. That's good to do that. There's some things our kids just ought not have. I mean, I know, I know you want them to have everything the world wants them to have, but they'll turn out like the world if you give it all to them. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about standing up and, and keeping wicked influences out of their life. Now, I believe you ought to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong. It was this way for me growing up. There were certain people I couldn't be friends with because mom and daddy said I couldn't be friends with. I didn't understand it then. I didn't like it then. I didn't know why then. But I look back now, and I, I mean, I rise up and call them blessed because I see a lot of those people in the ditch, and I'd be right there with them. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're seeing here is that they exhibited faith in God. You know, the problem is this. We want a household of faith without living a life of faith. We want to be able to compartmentalize our Christian walk to something we do in front of our kids and only in front of our kids. Can I give you a a phrase that exemplifies that? Do as I say and not what? Oh boy, if there's ever a wicked statement, that's it. Your kids will not do as you say, they'll do as you do. Every time. I see that more and more with my little boy. Of course, he's at that age. I understand that. Where everything's daddy, 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 dad. Wake up in the morning because he, he wakes me up. Daddy, daddy, dad. Anything that I do, daddy. I mean, I, anything that I do, he's right there behind me. And he wants to be just like daddy. See, right now he knows it. But there'll come a time when he'll still do it, but he won't know he's doing it. Because the things that I've done and the way that I have lived in front of him will put something in his life and affect him and determine... And and in a way, could I say, destined his future and his outcome. We see that they stood up. They lived a life of faith. We see their vision, but we see their valor. It says, not fearing the commandment of the king. Does that mean they weren't afraid? Well, no, I don't don't think that means that they weren't afraid. I think what it means is they didn't let that fear dominate them. They didn't let that fear govern them and drive them and rule them. In other words, they made up their mind that it didn't matter what it cost them, They were going to live a life of faith in front of their child. It's going to cost you some things. I'm being honest now. I hope our young people are listening. It's going to cost you some things. I mean, it ain't going to be easy. 
It's going to take. It's going to cost you some things to live a life of faith in front of your kids. It's going to cost me some things to live a life of faith in front of my child. There will be times, there will be things I want to do that I can't do because I'm still flesh. And my flesh still wants the wrong thing. But I've got more than me to think about now. I've got little footsteps in mine. And I better be mindful where mine are going because that's where his will go. They were willing to sacrifice some things, do without some things. They were willing to suffer if that's what it meant to see their child raised for the glory of God. Do you think it paid off? I think it did, don't you? I think it did, don't you? We're going to see in a moment how it paid off. But notice first off that faith caused them to stand up for their project. And we will stand up if we really believe the Word of God. People that don't take a stand and raise their kids right, it's because they don't believe the Word of God about what the Bible says about it. doesn't mean that they're godless. doesn't mean they hate God. doesn't mean they don't, that they aren't saved. But what it means is that those matters and those things where God has been clear in His Word, they don't believe those things. If they did, it would cause them to stand up and to do the right thing. Then we see something transition. We see in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. But in verse 24, we see something different. In fact, that's basically the end of the story for Amram and Jochebed. You don't really hear much of anything about them after the story in, in the first part of the book of Exodus. But you don't ever quit hearing about Moses. And in verse 24, we see Moses' faith being exercised. Notice what it says, by faith, Moses when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. We see Moses' faith and we see him standing for his purity. Moses had a decision to make. Here he is. He's a Hebrew He knows he's a Hebrew, and they know he's a Hebrew. But they're willing to crown him. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that's what it means when it says refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had a place and a station in the Egyptian court, maybe the supreme place in the the Egyptian court. We don't know. But we see that faith in his life caused him to do two things. And I want you all to listen carefully to this. First off, faith caused him to refuse some things. There are some things that Moses would not accept because of his faith. By faith, what? By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, stop and think about that statement. I mean, you know what we want for our kids today? I'm just being honest now. Most of us, the greatest thing we aspire to with our kids is that they grow up and get a good job, buy a nice house and make a good living, and die fat with a big, fat bank account. Moses had that. Moses had the best job in the kingdom. Moses had, had fine, I mean, he had security, amen? If anybody tried to take his job, just off with their head. In fact, he was at the pinnacle of what most people would want for their children. But listen carefully. Because of what had been instilled in Moses' life, it's not that that was too good for him. It's that that wasn't good enough for him. You know... The only thing better for your child than to be raised with money, to have all the advantages and opportunities. You know the only thing better than that? The will of God. Whatever the will of God. It may, that may be the will of God, and that's fine. But anything, and maybe I'm just picky, maybe I'm snobbish, 
And I mean, listen, my, my boy is, he's a preacher's son. You have not seen rotten until that child hits three, four years old. You say he's cute now. Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. You're going to come in, he's going to be swinging from this chandelier, shooting flaming bows and arrows at people. Not just arrows, flaming bows and arrows. You have not seen rotten yet. He's a preacher. I understand that. But can I respectfully and humbly say this? Can I respectfully and humbly say that in my opinion, nothing but the will of God is good enough for my young man? Whatever that means. If it's digging ditches, if it's in the will of God, it's good enough for him. And there's nothing less than that that would be good enough for him. So Moses had grown up learning what? You're special. Not because you're any better than anyone else, but because God has a plan for your life. And anything less than that plan is not good enough. We have raised our young people up to believe that by the, if they can achieve by the world's standards, they have gained the greatest thing. And then we wonder why they only show up to church twice a year. We've not made a priority of the will of God for it. There are some things that he refused. The pinnacle of society. He said, I'll not have it. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Choosing. Faith will make you refuse some things, but faith will make you choose some things. Choosing rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Look at the next verse. Look down at verse number, I believe it's verse 27. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Why did Moses take the stand that he took? Why would he be willing to refuse those things? Because he understood that the will of God would be a greater treasure for his life than anything the world could afford him. Anything. We see him standing up, refusing that which the world would applaud and that which the world would appreciate because he would rather have that which God applauds and which God appreciates. I'm saying this. We, we need to get our priorities straight. We need to get our priorities in the place where our young people understand we value the things of God more than anything in the world. And only when we get to that place will they value what we value. Young people pretty much value what we value. Wouldn't you think that? We, uh, we're looking for a house. And uh, we're, we're looking, if, anybody's, if you know someone giving one away, see me after the service. And we're very specific in what we're looking for. We want to be out in the country. You know why? You wouldn't believe this, but did you know that millions of people all over this country live in the city every year and do just fine? Do you know that? We don't want to live in the city. You know why? I was raised in the country. We, we want a little bit of land. Did you know that? I mean, in, in Japan, they just stack you on top of each other. People in Japan live in Tupperware. Do you know that? Stackable Tupperware. And they survive. But I don't want that. You know why? Because I was raised out in the country. I was raised with a little bit of land to run and to play on. You see, the things my daddy valued are the things that I valued. By the same token, my daddy would get up every day and go to work. And uh, after a while, I realized he didn't enjoy that. Amen? He didn't want to do that. But he did it because he valued security for his family. He, he valued hard work. He valued independence. Boy, our young people are growing up, and they don't value independence anymore. They'd sooner owe money. They'd sooner owe money than live free and clear a debt. That's a dangerous, dangerous place. You say, do you think that's wicked, preacher? Yeah, yeah. Especially about once a month it is. I think it's real wicked then. Oh, I know, I know. 
You live in this world, you're going to have to borrow some money from time to time. What I'm saying is this, our value system is all messed up. I value the things I value because what my daddy and my mama valued. The things we value are the things our children are going to value. Because Amram and Jochebed valued the will of God, Moses valued the will of God. It was valuable to him. It was important to him. And you know what? Because they valued the things that God valued, Moses valued the things that God valued. If you don't make the Lord a priority in your life, your kids never will. Your grandkids never will. I mean, hey, I know. I mean, we got young people in here. We got old people in here. I won't say which you are, but we got both in here. And your grandchildren are watching you just like your children watched you. What are they seeing? What are they valuing? So we see in his life him choosing some things. Then I want you to notice a third thing. We see him standing up for his purity. But verse 27 says this, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We see him standing up for God's plan. Very interesting if you study verse 27 where you place that in the life of Moses. Most people would place that early in Moses' life, the first time that he left Egypt. I don't, and here's why. There's two reasons. One is because it says he forsook Egypt. Now, you forsake something, you don't go back to it. Moses, when he left Egypt the first time after he killed the Egyptian, he went back to Egypt. God sent him back to Egypt. When he left the second time at the head of the nation of Israel, he didn't go back after that. But then there's a second reason. Exodus chapter number 2 tells us explicitly that when he left the first time, he feared the wrath of the king. He feared the Pharaoh and that Pharaoh would kill him because of what he's done. When he left the second time, he didn't leave running. He left leading out the mass of people. So what we really see is this. The picture is not of Moses fleeing for his life, but the picture is him at the head of the nation of Israel and leading them out according to the plan of God. And he was willing to stand and risk his life, although to him it was really no risk because he believed God, but willing to risk his life for God's will and for God's plan. I want you to notice this. This is interesting. I thought this was fascinating. I want you to look back at verse 23. Let's draw a parallel here. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Do you see that? They saw something in him that caused them to act that way. Verse 27, look at the end of it. For he endured as what? Seeing him who is invisible. Amram and Jochebed saw something in Moses, saw that he was a godly child, not because he was righteous then, but because God had a plan for him. And so they valued that. Moses, later on in his life, is viewing God the same way that they had viewed him. In other words, can I put it this way? That which they had invested into Moses when he was a baby, he is now returning and paying back to God as an adult. What you put into your kid's life is what God will get out of your kid's life. You may be dead and gone. They may have already pushed your wheelchair down into the river, spent your inheritance, amen? But God will get out of their life what you have put into their life. If we've raised them right, God will probably be able to get something out of it. I know we all have stories. Kids that were raised right went wrong. I understand that. But there's a reason those are anecdotal. There's a reason we talk about those. 
And the truth of the matter is, there's not as many kids raised right nowadays as we'd like to think there is. We've sort of lowered the standard of what raising a child right is. We see first off in verse number 27, his valor. Notice this parallel. I like this. It says in verse 23, why, why did they do that? And were not afraid of the king's commandment. Verse 27, not fearing the wrath of the king. We see that he had courage in standing up for the plan of God. The same courage his parents had exhibited in following the will of God. That same faith that they had invested in him, now he is investing as he follows the will of God, and he is bold and fearless in obeying the Lord. I believe that faith will cause us to be bold, don't you? I believe it will do for us what it did for Moses, the way it helped him to endure it, strengthened him, made him steadfast. If we really believe, if we really trust the Lord, then it's going to give us some strength. Do you remember what they said about the disciples in the book of Acts? It says, I believe it's chapter 3, I might be wrong, but I believe it's chapter 3, uh, where they said that they took knowledge of them, of, of Peter and, and uh, John, I believe, or James or, or Jeff. There was a Jeff, right? They took knowledge of them when they saw their boldness. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They could tell they spent time with God because they were bold. Do you know why we're weak? Because we don't spend time with God. You say, how do I spend time? You read your Bible. Let me tell you something. There's there's some folks do a lot more talking about the Bible than they do actual reading of the Bible. You can tell it by the way they talk about it. You'd be amazed how few Christians read their Bible even once a week. Even once a week. Hey, listen, if I'm hitting you, that's all right. The Lord still loves you enough to work with you, to deal with you. That's why He's hitting you. That's why why He's pricking you and touching you. It's because He still loves you. There's a lot of Christians who don't even read their Bible once a week. Don't pick up their Bible and spend more than a devoted five minutes to it in an entire week. There's a lot of people... The only time they read their Bible is when the preacher says, open with me to such and such page. It's no wonder you're a weak Christian. You're only getting fed once a week. You're only getting fed once a week. It's no wonder you're a weak Christian. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. You've got to spend time with the Lord. This, I don't, man, I didn't intend, Miss Jean, I didn't intend on preaching about raising kids. You believe me, don't you? I didn't intend on it. But I'm saying it's going to take more for us to raise our kids right. It's not easy. Whoever told us it was easy, they lied to us. You know? If you don't want to live... I mean, it's easy to have kids. But raising them is a whole other thing. Some of you ladies said, it ain't that easy to have them. For men, it ain't that bad. It's a lot easier to have a kid than just raise a kid. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes separation takes being separated not only from the world, but separated unto the Lord Jesus Christ and being devoted wholly unto Him. We see His valor, but then we see His vision, seeing Him who is invisible. Let me give you one more thing and I'm done. Verse 28. The preacher preached on this in Revival a little bit. Verse 28 says this, Through faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest He that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, did you see the transition that takes place? Verse 23 is about the faith of Amram and Jochebed. Verse 24 down through verse 27, and the first part of verse 28, is about the faith of Moses. 
You get down to the end of verse 28 and even into verse 29, and you find the collective faith of the children of Israel. It says at the end of the verse, destroyed the firstborn, should not touch them. Now, I, I believe it was this way back then, like it's this way now, that nobody can believe for you. You have to believe. But what does it mean when it says that he kept the Passover, that, the, that the, he that, uh, that killed the firstborn, destroyed the firstborn, should not touch them? Well, let's notice, first off, the institution of the Passover. That's the first thing that's being spoken of. When it says in verse 28, through faith, he kept the Passover, it's not just saying that, that Moses kept it for him and his, but it's saying that he instituted the Passover. This was a wholly new thing. I mean, they didn't, this one, it wasn't just common, just put blood on your doorpost back then. It wasn't, that wasn't what people did. But there in Egypt, that was what God prescribed. Let me say that I, I believe it's time we stand, and faith will cause us to stand for the Passover. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not Jewish. No, I mean to stand for the blood. The blood is the only means and the only way. You'd be amazed how many people are confused about how to get to heaven. God help us for us to raise kids that are confused about how to get to heaven. Now, they make their own choices. They get out in a lot of this crowd in the world. They get among the, the academics, you know, and they may get confused. But it ought to be that while they're sliding their feet under our table, they know the truth. We ought to take a stand for it. It ought to be clear. It ought to be abundantly clear the way to heaven. How? Well, first off, we've got to do what Moses did. We have to know that we're saved ourselves. You see, Moses instituted the Passover. How did he do that? By putting the blood on his doorpost first. In other words, the best thing we can do for our young people is to know that we're saved and on our way to heaven. We've got to set the example. We've got to, to live it in front of them, to live a change. Don't expect them to, to pursue a changed life if you don't live a changed life, because they won't. We've got to do it. We've got to partake. We see that he instituted God said to Moses, this is how I want it done. Moses said, okay, Lord, I'll trust you that it, it, it's, it's your... Death angel, it's your holiness and righteousness that's been offended. It's your judgment that's about to be passed. And so if you say that the blood is sufficient, then I'm going to trust you and do what you have asked me to do. I'm going to put the blood on my doorpost. And that's the first thing. But then notice the influence of Moses in this. It's not saying that because Moses put the blood on the doorpost that God gave a pass to the rest of the children of Israel. You know what it's saying? It's saying because Moses did it, they did it. Because Moses did it, they did it. Now imagine that. Imagine that. He took a stand for something, and other people stood with him. Imagine that. He took a stand for salvation through the blood, and other people took a stand for salvation through the blood. There's no room for compromise on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not. There, there's a lot of things we can fuss about and some things we might be able to agree to disagree about. There's a lot of things that, though they may not be the main thing, I believe they are something. And they may not be the most important thing, but that doesn't mean they're not important. But mark her down. There's a few things. The Bible, the blood of the Lord Jesus, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, Salvation by faith plus nothing minus nothing. Those are the main things. 
There are other things that are important, and I've preached on those plenty of times. But tonight I'm preaching on this. Those are the main thing. There's no room for compromise on those. Let me tell you something. If we're walking along and you veer away from one of those, you've just walked away from me. Because how can two walk together except they be agreed? We've separated ways at that point. You've walked away. And isn't it funny how the crowd wants to do? They'll go out into left field and then treat us like we've moved. Back uh, when the the whole BMA thing and we broke from from all that, and I, I was talking to the executive director of uh, of that outfit, and you know he he knew. He said, "Sounds to me like you've made up your mind." I said, "Well, I have." I said, "It's a question of whether they have, but I have. I know what I believe about it." But I told him this. I said, "We're preaching from the same Bible." I preach from the same Bible that Walridge has been using for 50 years. We have the, I have the same standards that they have had and that you used to have. I said, we've not gone anywhere. You're the one that's moved. And we have not left you. You have left us. See, that crowd always wants us to believe that we're the ones separating from them just because they'll tolerate our conservative stance. But knowing full well that when they go that direction, they place themselves in, in a place we can't abide. Son, we've, we've, not, we've not separated from them. They've separated from us. You know what that's like, right? You, you know that, that's the equivalent of if you were to go out and cheat on your spouse and come home and your spouse find out about it and say, I'm filing for divorce from you. And you were to say, well, why are you divorcing me? I wouldn't divorce you, but here you are divorcing me. Well, the truth of the matter is, you knew what you was getting into when you did that. The blame's on the person that's guilty. And I sort of feel the same way. I don't know where that come from. I don't know. Jessica told me to preach that. I wasn't even going to say anything about that. I, I'm saying there's some things worth standing over. And you'd be amazed. We take a stand. Some other folks take a stand. Not everybody. We take a stand. There'll be a few that'll try to shout us down. But there are some things that if we really believe the Word of God, we'll take a stand over. We won't compromise on because there's no room for compromise on. I mean, there's, there, I understand there's some things. This carpet's green. If you wanted it blue, I guess we'd be okay. But when it comes to the things of the Word of God, there's no room for compromise. And if we really believe the Bible, we'll take a stand over those things. And the reason people don't take a stand over them is because they don't really believe those things. Oh, they may believe it as long as it's not challenged. But let me tell you something. If your faith ain't strong enough to withstand someone standing up to it, you don't have much faith. Your faith isn't worth much. You know what we call it, don't you? Cheap grace. Cheap grace. And mark her down, friend. Just because grace is free, and by the very virtue and nature of what grace is, grace is free, don't think for one moment that grace is cheap. It's a valuable, precious thing. That's cheap Christianity. It may have been free to get in this thing for you and I because it was paid for, but it's not cheap. And it's worth standing for. It's worth taking a stand for.